conclusion inevitable. It was a jump to conclusions, Matt. My conclusion was that this idea was not a practical deterrent. My only conclusion can be that it was a Sith Lord. In conclusion... Howdy, folks! Welcome to the first episode of In Conclusion, a podcast about movies, and more specifically, completed movie franchises. The world didn't need another movie podcast, so I started one anyway. Every episode, we dive into a film from a franchise that has either met its end or hit some arbitrary benchmark that counts as a conclusion. We start with the first movie, then each successive episode focuses on the next one until we hit our conclusion. But that's enough jibber-jabber. I'm your host, Dan O'Keefe, and joining me today to talk about one of her favorite movies is my friend, Anna Otto. Hello! <laughs> also, I'm so sorry if I was making dumb faces while you were trying to record that. Gage was on the floor crawling behind me because he didn't want to be in the <laughs> shot. He's doing it again, and I... Yeah, anyway, back to being serious. Get off the floor. Okay. No, I was reading, so I couldn't see your face at all. Okay, perfect. Yes. Uh, so, Anna, what movie are we talking about today? Jurassic Park! <laughs> uh, and how much do you love Jurassic Park? Um, So much that I'm going to walk down the aisle to the theme music at my wedding. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole podcast. That's it. We're done. Um, We're done. Do you remember the first time that you saw it? Okay, like, this is embarrassing because my growth of love to where I'm at now with this movie has a very embarrassing beginning. Because it was in high school, and the first time I ever saw it was when I was in my first boyfriend's basement, and he was like, we need a movie to make out to. You've probably already seen Jurassic Park. And so he was trying to kiss me. I was like, now wait a second, because I was, like, (laughs) paying attention. So... Yeah, that's the very embarrassing beginning of my love affair. Uh, the first time, wait, he put it on as a makeout movie. Yeah, I don't know if it, it doesn't work as a makeout movie. You get well, too invested into it. Obviously, that's why I'm not dating him anymore. I chose the movie. <laughs> um, the fir- I remember the first time I wanted to see it. it I was in like seventh grade or something. Um, yeah, and I brought the DVD home from the library. Amazing. I'm a hip and with it child. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went to watch it, my mom took the DVD from me and was like, no, you can't watch it until you read the book. Oh, I've never read the book. Oh, the book. Uh, I will get into it later, but there are some differences between the book and the movie. All um, right. But she had done the same thing with my brother when he wanted to see Lord of the Rings. He couldn't see the movies until he read the books and that's a lot more difficult than reading jurassic park because jurassic park you can knock out in like three hours it's so <laughs> isn't it kind of thick it's kind of thick but it's such a quick read fair and honestly I've been actually i oh, skipped sorry. over half of it because there's a lot you of skipped... <laughs> there's a lot of technical jargon that i was like this seems like science i guess but i, I guess I so I've been kind of on a kick like that too lately where I've been trying to read books before I watch them so right now I'm reading American Psycho even though since the library's closed and I never have to return it I'm probably never gonna finish it because there's no push but um I don't know like the author put his his heart and soul into it you know I feel like I have to 
focus on every word. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why I'll never finish reading any books. But Well, with Jurassic Park, what's nice about it is, yes, Michael Crichton put his heart and soul into the book, but he also co-wrote the movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I feel like I knew that. Yeah, so, yeah, the, the book was written by Michael Crichton, movie directed by Steven Spielberg, released in 1993, uh, mm-hmm. written by David Kopp and Michael Crichton. Um, mm-hmm. When the movie came out, it became the highest grossing movie of 1993 and then the highest grossing movie of all time until 1997 when Titanic came out. Um, got rave reviews for so many things. The effects, everything. Yeah, I I actually have several points of talking about the um, animatronics and stuff that were in the movie and like mm-hmm. the puppets and uh, how cool and exciting they are for the time and actually last night when i was watching it gage and i were talking about how like if i mean i know you'll probably bring this up later but if they were to make it today the difference between using an actual puppet or animatronic versus having a person in a green suit laying on the ground and you're (laughs) interacting with him but yeah yeah uh yeah so let's just get into the movie um all right so it starts out and we are shown these crocodile dundee looking dudes they're dressed sharply dan be honest they're just so sharp they are it's a look it is definitely a look <laughs> it felt like they were all steve Irwin's body doubles at some point or another depending on how far away they were from the camera yeah um so we see Fair. them trying to load something we don't know what it is yet into a pen mm-hmm. Uh, but as they do it, the thing does not want it to be loaded into the pen, and it gets, it grabs one of the guys who's loading it in. It, I'm pretty, if I'm remembering it correctly, it it kills him. Yes. Yes. Am I allowed to make my first quote? My first absolutely quote of the movie. Shooter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That, that's one of the strongest line readings I can remember. Thank you. Yeah. Um, both you and in the movie. Mm-hmm. it's very very passionate you know mm-hmm. that guy i don't think he has any other lines in the whole film he really nails it he had his five seconds of fame and let me tell you he mm-hmm. took it and he shot his shot mm-hmm. uh, uh so then we move on and we are put into the desert where we see Sam Elliott and Laura Dern excavating a dinosaur bones, velociraptor bones specifically, uh, and we're shown that Sam Elliott's character is not good with computers, and moreover than that, he wants to murder children. I mean, we've already... Yeah, I mean, the kid the kid in the movie is a little you-know-what. Like, he's irritating, but he also was the duck-lipped kid in Full House, and I think about that every time I watch the movie. He was? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my god! Are you Googling it to be I sure? I am, yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, 99.9% <laughs> sure. But, yeah. Oh, my goodness. What? Why was that kid there? You know, I think they just needed something to set up the fact that um, that Alan Grant didn't like kids. Mm-hmm. That I think that's literally it. Because I have a couple of questions about the movie. Like, we're, like, we'll get to it later, obviously. But questions about why things are there that I even now, having <laughs> seen the movie 75 times, I'm like, 
why? Yeah. <laughs> but that kid specifically, like, yeah, why? I mean, maybe he's the kid of one of the people working on the dig, but, like, is he just a kid who lives in Montana who stumbled upon into the Badlands? Like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk. Let me just see what's going on here. Oh, they think they know anything about dinosaurs? Wrong. <laughs> I'll have you know. I've seen mm-hmm. one episode of Mr. Wizard's World, so I can mm-hmm. tell you everything about the Velociraptor. Mm-hmm. Stupid Dr. Alan Grant, paleontologist. Oh, so, pretty much. Yeah, so then Richard Attenborough shows up as John Hammond, a kooky, eccentric billionaire, trillionaire, I don't know, illionaire. Um, Rich, richer than I'll ever be. Yes, absolutely. And he asks them to visit his park that he has set up and then they after some convincing they agree and they are brought by helicopter along with a lawyer so in the helicopter there is the park's lawyer mm-hmm. laura dern mm-hmm. sam neal as alan grant mm-hmm. richard attenborough and god's gift to humanity jeff goldblum now, comment number one. We love a good Jeff Goldblum, okay? I love him. He's a star. Why is he in this movie? I His was, character? The first thing that I wrote down, why are they bringing a mathematician? Yeah. I mean, like, I know, like, he's like, oh, I study chaos, baby. But, like, in his Jeff Goldblum way, so there's a lot more ums. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's the whole point of him being there that he's sexy? Question mark? Like, were they like, you know what this movie needs? sex appeal (laughs) he is just dripping with sexy yeah he is i mean there's even again another quote i bring the scientists you bring a rock star because he's just flirting with laura dern the whole time oh my gosh and honestly it didn't age very well (laughs) because it's kind of creepy these days it's pretty skeevy yeah like he he grabs her her wrist at one point oh yeah stroking her hair yeah, he, like, grabs a part of her hair at one point, and I was like, ooh, if somebody did that to me, I'd be like, <laughs> don't touch me. <laughs> so, but, like, at the same time, I get what they're going for. Like, he's so suave, and all the ladies love him, and I don't know, maybe he, they thought all the girl dinosaurs would be, like, swooning, too. Who's to say? But they're all girl dinosaurs. Exactly. So they... Or are they? Oh, no, ooh, foreshadowing for this ooh. 27-year-old movie. Ooh. Ooh. It's uh, too late for spoilers. If you don't know it by now, it's too late. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yes, they get to the island, and then they are brought by Jeep. And as they are driving around, they pull over, and Ellie is busy looking at a leaf that is hundreds of thousands of years old because she is a paleobotanist. And then Alan Grant is absolutely shocked you are putting up your finger, are you? Yeah, I have okay. something to say. Um, so it's funny to me because we always think of Jeep as the Jurassic Park car, but they're mm-hmm. actually driven around by Ford Explorers. Really? Yeah, they have Jeeps because they'll say like, oh, I have a gra- gas-powered Jeep to take me, blah, 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 blah. But you can see when the car is flipped over at certain points during the movie, it's actually a Ford Explorer. Oh, yeah, so that's my nerdy fun fact. Yeah, that's something you only get having seen the movie 75 times. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, if I was to have a Jurassic Park-themed car, it obviously would be the Jeep, because mm-hmm. that's iconic, but the ones on the track are Ford Explorers. Okay. 
But yeah, as they're driving around, they stop, and then that's the first time that we see the dinosaurs. I'm not going to say live and in person, because it's the first time that there's really this impressive CG seen on screen. They're all mm-hmm. computer-generated. All the faraway ones, not yes. all throughout the movie. Uh, but everybody is just shocked by it and just so in awe, which obviously neither of us were around to see this in theaters. But I can imagine a lot of people in the theater were equally in awe because they look still to this day very good. Oh, yeah. Like, I think there's a lot of things in a lot of movies and a lot of franchises that you watch because it's classic. Like, when I watch Jaws now, I'm like, oh, it's classic, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But there are certain points of it where I'm like, okay, that's pretty cheesy. Like, when the blood starts squirting up in the water and blah, 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 blah. But with this movie, I watch it and there's not really a point where I'm like, wow, that's so cheesy. I can't get past it to enjoy this scene. Right. Like, I... I'm always very floored by the robots and the animatronics and that's the same thing. The animatronics and the puppets and like the CGI because for the time that just was so uncommon and just so new. I think we take that for granted a lot in today's movies because Mm -hmm. now it's in pretty much every movie whereas it was such a magnificent and new and exciting thing back then which is why it's so fun to watch a movie that really kind of helped pioneer those new exciting things. Yeah, it was this and Terminator 2 are mm-hmm. the two movies that with early CG from the 90s, you look at it and you're like, if they did this now, I mean, they're doing Jurassic Park now. And it, yeah. I don't know if it looks better. I mean, when I think about that, I think about how now the Velociraptors with Chris Pratt, I believe they are the people like in suits that Uh are just motion tracking and i think that takes away some of the excitement of when they were filming it because like it looks so much more real to me to have the actor be on the same plane as the robots like when you were talking about um when they first see the dinosaurs Mm -hmm. if i may jump ahead to when they see the triceratops for the first time we can jump ahead there what happens in between is the two kids get brought on board. Yeah, it's so exciting. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think about when, like I said earlier to you, um, I think about that scene with the Triceratops where they're laying on top of it and digging in its mouth and like looking at it and touching it and feeling it. Mm-hmm. I feel like with the technology of it being so exciting and new now where it looks so real, mm-hmm. we do get that element of fakeness because – then when Chris Pratt goes to touch the Velociraptors, he's not actually touching them. So it just doesn't 100% look as believable to me as it does with those puppets, you yeah. know? It's the, it's the uncanny valley effect that it looks, everything in your mind, you're like, this looks like it's there. It looks like it's real, but then there's some disconnect within yeah. there that you know, no, he's not actually touching its face. He's touching a tennis ball on a stick. Exactly. Like, as soon as it becomes physical interaction with any of the creatures, like, I feel like we lose that by using so much CGI today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the kids are brought into the movie and they go on their Jurassic Park safari ride on the Mm -hmm. auto-controlled cars. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think of the kids? Well, Dan, (laughs) I think the little girl is a whiny baby. Uh Uh-huh personally we love tim okay i think tim is so cute i 
love how excited he is to be working with Alan. And, like, my one of my other favorite lines is when Alan's like, which car do you want to be in? And he goes, whichever one you're in. I'm like, oh, my heart. So He's so starstruck. Whereas the little girl, I mean, it's not her fault. She's a tween. She's written as a tween. Mm-hmm. Like, she just has angst and annoyance for the world. And, like, obviously, as things progress, she has a story arc, thankfully. Mm-hmm. But... At the beginning, like she's like, why are they putting a goat in with the with the T Rex? He shouldn't eat that because I'm a vegetarian. Oh, <laughs> she does not understand science, girl. I don't know. She's just got. The, I mean, she's got the angst. Mm-hmm. I get it. I can relate to it because I was the same way. But she's got the angst, which rubs me wrong. But she's not inherently like a bad kid. I just prefer Tim. Thank yes. you for coming to my TED talk. That's it. <laughs> She, so in the book, she has even, she has, like, no role other to be a, than being a scream queen. Um, Mood. Because Tim, in the book, it has both the knowledge of dinosaurs and the computer hacker knowledge mm. um, that they give the hacker knowledge to the girl, which is much better for her character and gives her an actual role, which is good. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim is just... He's so lovable. You just want to mm-hmm. give him a hug. And also, the actor who plays Tim mm-hmm. has been in stuff recently. Like, he's an actual still-working actor. The the actress, really? uh, the girl's name was Lex. Uh, okay. She is an artist now, so she doesn't really act very much. Um, the guy who played Tim, his name is Joseph Mazzello, and he was in The Social Network. He was one of the founders of Facebook. He was Dustin Moskovitz. Oh, um, I've seen that movie. I guess I just, you know, and he he's was an in, adult now, so. <laughs> he was in Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, really? Yeah, he was the, not Brian May, not the blonde one, the other member of Queen. Hmm, interesting. Right? Well, rock on for him. Rock Good on, for him. Tim. Rock, rock on. on. <laughs> so, as they go through on the safari, they keep getting disappointed because they're not seeing any dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. They only see the sick triceratops. The T-Rex doesn't come out when they try to feed him the goat. Uh, they don't see the tiny ones that spit acid into people's faces. Dilaposaurus, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Yes. But as they go on, there is a hurricane that's about to come through and, and hit the island. So mm-hmm. um, they're going to need to call cut the tour short. But also concurrently, you have Newman who is trying to steal the dinosaur embryos from the island. Uh, a star, a king. Not the character, but Wayne Knight Wayne is Knight. a star and yes. a king. And so I'm only going to call him Newman. His name is That's Dennis fair. Nedry, which is an equally as Newman name as Newman is. He is working security and he has to shut off. No, he's working IT and he shuts off all of the electrical systems in the park he says that he has to do a system reset um but during the storm he sets off all the electrical systems so he can go and steal the embryos but in doing so he shuts off the power to the cages the electric fences of the cages meaning that it's possible for the dinosaurs to escape and that's when the real havoc comes in um i know you said that newman is a king mm-hmm. thinking about the movie I understand that he is supposed to be the main villain, mm-hmm. but 
we're not really given a reason to hate him. Yeah, I don't know that I really think there is a true villain in this movie. I mean, like, obviously he's the bad guy, quote unquote. Uh But, like, he's just stupid. Yeah. Like, that's not enough reason for me to be like, oh, evil, evil. No, he's just, like, he's obviously trying to get money. And, like, he's doing something selfish. And, yeah, a lot of people die because of him. And he's terrible. But... Mm -hmm. If you didn't plan to kill a bunch of people and, like, you didn't plan for things to go so horribly wrong and, like, harm yourself and others, I don't know. He's just dumb. Like, he just doesn't plan well. And you can tell that by looking at, like, the set dressing for his desk. Oh, it's just dirty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they even quote, like, remark upon that in the movie. (laughs) I think that in order to really count him as a villain or, like, some sort of evil genius... He'd have to have his life put together better. Yeah. Because <laughs> he clearly doesn't, based <laughs> off alone of how many snack wrappers are on his desk. And his excuse to go and steal the embryos is, does anybody want a Coke? Oh, I've my God. I've eaten a lot of sweets recently. i got to go eat eat something something salty. Yeah. When he's, like, sweating profusely <laughs> when he's delivering that line. I was like, this is what I look like when I'm lying, yeah. truthfully. <laughs> like, he really does not know what he's doing in this situation and another thing that's interesting about him being the villain is that there's a a different villain in each act of the movie yeah he's the villain in the first act Mm -hmm. the t-rex becomes the villain in the second act when he breaks Mm -hmm. out of the pen and then in the third act it becomes the velociraptors yeah and i actually was thinking about that too because there's a very distinct end to the first third of the movie. Yes. And I'm sure, like, again, we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I keep saying that. but <laughs> <laughs> We're really good at foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. But there's a very distinct, and it's a little bit more blurry for the second part of the movie, I would say, just because nobody dies, uh-huh. per se. But I think for the end of the first third of the movie... Sometimes, like, when I had first seen it one or two times, I was like, wait, what do you mean the movie doesn't end with Wayne Knight dying? Like, that's not the end. No, there's, like, an hour more. Like, there's still a lot of story to cover. And the stuff that that sticks in your head a lot of the time is the stuff from the first hour of the movie. Just because I I would say that the way that everything is paced and everything is laid out in the first half of the movie is perfect. Oh, yeah. There's nothing I would change about it. No, I agree. I think I would say that I enjoy, I mean, I enjoy the movie as a whole, but I prefer the first half to the second half. Like, I just Mm -hmm. find it a little bit more intense in a way that I like. Yeah. But we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. We need to talk about, um, so the T-Rex breaks out of the cage. Mm -hmm. And it is so tense, the build-up to it. You, Mm -hmm. You see it with the glass of water that before Jeff Goldblum had used to hit on Laura Dern uh, oh, gosh. and, and yeah. drip water down her arm. Oh, one, mm, never mind. But <laughs> the glass just starts shaking and shaking. You hear stomping and stomping, and then you just hear a roar, and then you see everybody's faces, and they realize, oh, shit, the T-Rex is out. And then... And then the T-Rex attacks. He attacks them. He There's so Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. I'd say there's so many iconic scenes in this movie and I'd say like that water stomping scene 
that one and along with when you first see the dinosaurs, those are just some of the most iconic scenes in film history, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the T-Rex attacks them. He wrecks one of the cars. um, And as he attacks them, he, the kids are in the back seat of the car and the T-Rex is attacking through the roof and the roof, the glass roof comes off of the Ford Explorer Yes, Not good work, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and allegedly, the the rumor that is widely known is that the glass wasn't supposed to come off. Like the glass, mm-hmm. it was only supposed to be attacking them from above. So the kids' look of fear is genuine in the scene. Yeah, um, I believe that to some sense. Yeah, I, I don't wholeheartedly believe it. I they are still acting. You think somebody was in there like, let me just loosen these screws real quick and like see what happens? Or do you think like they're just not turning off their No, I, I do think it was an accident. I do think that the, the T-Rex animatronic went farther down than they had expected it to. But I mean, that thing was like a death trap. Right. Whenever you read the history about like somebody got stuck in there and they're like, OK, there's like a 99 percent chance that they'll be crushed. But they didn't get crushed. So yeah. that's great. <laughs> but. Yeah, that thing was like a death trap. Uh-huh. Um, but I, d- I do think that the kids still were very turning it up, their reaction yeah. still. Because they're, they're kids. They're child actors. There's really only one good child actor. And it's Jonathan Taylor Mickey Thomas. Rooney. Oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> no, we'll get into JTT later. Uh, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that we'll get into later. Um, so the T-Rex attacks them. He, Jeff Goldblum distracts it away by lighting a flare and running away in just the peak of sexy. Oh yeah. He's like ripping his shirt open. His clothes are just hugging his body. A new button is undone in each scene he's in. Like, I swear (laughs) to God. It is as it goes through the movie. He is wearing less and less clothes. Yeah, they did that on purpose. They were like, Jeff, for each new scene, rip something off. We want to see more skin. (laughs) How did the man who was in The Fly become such a sex symbol? And then not a sex symbol. (laughs) His arc as a human is fascinating. I don't know if he is human. His arc as as an ethereal being. True. Yes. True. Um. So the T-Rex ends up knocking one of the cars off and down a hill with Tim stuck in it. And Tim survives so much shit in this movie. He survives that. He survives the car almost landing on him again when the car Mm -hmm. is stuck in the tree. Uh, And then later in the movie, as he's climbing the electric fence, they... uh, Spoilers, but whatever. Uh, Oh, that scene... They, when we get to that, talking about that scene, uh-huh. I have things to say. It makes me so nervous. He survives that, too. And it's just like, this kid is made of rubber or something. I'm honestly surprised that more characters in this movie don't die of shock. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like Tim especially. I mean, when he's caught up after the T-Rex attacks and they're caught, he's caught in the car in a tree. Uh-huh. And, and, like, Alan goes up to him and Tim's like, oh, I threw up. That's it? That's all you did? Right. I would have, like, I would probably would have wet my pants, thrown up, been crying still, 
horrified. I don't even know. I don't even know. Probably would have died. Yeah, all Tim did was throw up. Meanwhile, his sister has turned into Carrie, covered in mud and, I assume, blood, just petrified and screaming. Oh, God. She screams so much. I know she's scared, but one of the things I always say during the scene, I'm like, girl, shut up. (laughs) You're literally the reason why the dinosaur keeps coming back is because you keep yelling. But... (laughs) Uh, and then concurrently at the time, Nedry is trying to drive away to the pier to get off on the last boat, but mm-hmm. his car runs off the road because he runs over uh, a tiny little waterfall that appeared. Um, mm-hmm. And he gets out to try and, I don't really know, I don't remember why he gets out, but he gets out. Um, he gets out because his car, um, he has to open the door to get out and then it gets stuck in the mud. Oh, Yeah. And he gets out, and the Barbasol can with the embryos falls out of his pocket. Um, and he falls down the waterfall. It's very funny. It's very mm-hmm. Newman. Um, and as he's down there, he sees the tiny poison dinosaurs. Um, and they spray his face with poison and get all in his eyes. And he is shouting, and he runs back into his car to get a brief respite. Um, and he wipes off his eyes, and everything seems to be fine. And then he looks to his right, and there is a dinosaur sitting in the passenger seat. And then we cut to outside the car, and it's like the scene in Titanic where Jack and Rose have sex in the car, but it's a dinosaur eating Wayne Knight. So more sexy. Yes. Every time I watch that scene, I think about how when I was little at the zoo, there was a big dinosaur exhibit, and they had like an animatronic dilaposaur, and it would come out of the brush and like spit poison at you but it was water uh-huh. and i think of like how when i was little i was like ha, 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 i'm having so much fun and then like you watch that scene and you're like i would be so dead if that was real <laughs> in the the ride that they have at the universal studios parks they have dilaposaurs <gasps> at the beginning because it's a it's a water ride and you go down a drop um, yes they have dilaposaurs at the beginning and they're like water cannons they're just spraying little spritz of water and you're like oh this is so cute i would be melting right now mm-hmm. if this was i real. love that ride i love that ride it's very fun oh. um so that is the end of act one of the movie so See. then what happens after that the storm passes um and they are the people are separated into two different groups you have grant and the kids and you have the oh one thing i forgot to mention the lawyer gets gets crushed he gets eaten he gets eaten yeah he's he's on the toilet he's hiding in the toilet and he gets eaten um because lawyers in film are the devil mm-hmm. uh, in the novel he survives in oh there, really and he spends the rest of the book like oh my god i abandoned the kids what the hell did i do so, oh he has guilt he has guilt he gets a little bit of redemption in the book in the movie no, screw him. Yeah, he dead. Yeah. He dead. So, yes, they're split up into two groups. You have Grant and the kids, and you have the rest of the survivors who are back in the lab, um, which is Ellie and Ian Malcolm and Richard Attenborough and Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, hold on to your butts. Ah, early Sam Jackson, still bad as a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. But with more hair. 
but it's receding more glasses Mm -hmm. more cigarette yes very heavy smoker in the movie oh Um, yeah so grant and the kids come across eggshells which prove that the dinosaurs while all bred to be female because they are bred with the holes in their dna fixed by west african frogs which can turn male when stuck in single sex situations their population control is not going as they intended because to quote the film life uh finds a way beautiful thank you now i have a i have a remark to make about that okay now i know i'm talking about this like with the knowledge that we know today and stuff but even in the beginning they talk about like how dinosaurs are a lot like birds Mm -hmm. how come like why do you think they didn't use chicken dna to fill in those gaps a this whole whole situation could have been avoided b they would have had feathers which is which is historically accurate okay thank you (laughs) those are the two issues with the movie yes those are my only two issues with this film franchise Uh, there should be more feathers Well, in the third one, they give the Velociraptors these weird mohawks of feathers as they're kind Amazing. of like halfway to doing it. But anyways, um, so as those three are trying to return to the visitor center to safety, um, Arnold, who was Samuel L. Jackson's character, goes to says they need to reboot the park system so they can get back to full power. Um, and he heads to the maintenance shed to turn the circuit breakers back on, but he doesn't come back. So then Ellie goes to turn the circuit breakers back on, despite Richard Attenborough saying, no, it should be me. I should go do this in a, and he's like, she just goes, okay, no, we'll get over. We'll talk about the sexism in this later, but. Oh yeah. This this. is a feminist franchise. Let me tell you right now, this movie feminist. (laughs) It is. I mean, she, it's a feminist film. Yes. I, I'm dead serious. Like, I'm half choking, but I'm mostly serious about the fact that I believe that this is a feminist franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing that I don't believe uh, in the feminist angle of the franchise is in Jurassic World when Bryce Dallas Howard outruns a dinosaur in four-inch stilettos. Oh, anything you can do, I can do in heels, baby. That's all that said to me. You know what I call it when I'm running in heels? I call it chasing that news story, okay? Oh, my gosh. Chase the paper, Dan. (laughs) So Ellie goes to turn on the circuit breaker, and she does. She gets it turned on, um, and immediately as she turns it on, she turns to her left, and she sees a velociraptor right next to her. which she then does the most dramatic 1930s jump back and scared face into a chain link fence and just holds the position for like three seconds. And I'm like, girl, there's a door right behind you. Just go in there. Yeah. I, it's so, some of the screams, like, I know they're doing this over and over and over again to get the perfect shot, but I'm like, first of all, you gotta be bone tired. Bone tired. I don't think that's a word term. You gotta be dead tired. That's what I was trying to say. By the time this is all done, you've been jumping into that fence and screaming for three hours, I'm sure. And like, I'm, oh, the longer and more dramatic it is, the more I'm like, I don't know. I think I probably would have blacked out at that point. <laughs> 
So as she she goes back and she's like, oh, good, I'm safe. And then she feels Arnold's arm on her shoulder. She's like, oh, Arnold, we're okay. And then she grabs his hand and she walks forward. And it's just his severed arm. Mm-hmm. Bloody at the stump. It's, I mean, that right there, it's scary. But that's just like kind of cheesy classic horror to me. I always get a little bit of a chuckle out of that. I'm like, this is so dark, but it's also a little bit funny. Yeah, I'll, like half of the things in this movie are a step away from being cheesy horror camp movies. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't realize that this movie was rated PG-13. I put it into the DVD player and it said PG-13 and I went, oh, there must be a preview coming on. And I was like (laughs) watching it and I was like, oh yeah, Anna, remember this movie is incredibly gory? (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it makes sense. Like PG-13 is the scary rated R movie's little brother. So, And I mean, in the 80s and 90s, there were, there were some weird barriers between PG-13 and R. Oh, yeah, because they still had, didn't they? No, maybe not in the 90s, but in the 80s, I think they still showed, quote-unquote, rated X films, yeah. which were not not porn, just, like, actual scary movies and, like, weird, like, Clockwork Orange was a rated X film, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't call that porn in any way. Well. I don't. Well, that's a two, conversation two for own. another day. <laughs> <laughs> So as Ellie turns the power back on, the trio of Alan Grant and the kids, which is my favorite uh, 60s TV show band, um, Mm -hmm. they are climbing an electric fence that they have to go over to uh, get back to the visitor center. Do you want to explain what happens in this scene? Dan, when I tell you every time I said to Gage last night when I was watching it, I was like, Look, I know what happens in this scene, and I still get really nervous every time I watch it. Like, I always am, like, yelling. I'm screaming. Am I allowed to swear? Yes. Okay. So, here I am watching this scene, and they're climbing the fence, and they're all off the fence except for our boy, Tim. And all of a sudden, this alarm starts going off that's, like, letting them know that the fence is going to turn back on, so it'll be electric again. And Tim is at the top. And his sister and Alan are like, jump, Tim. And I'm on my couch yelling, jump, you dumb bitch, like over and over and over. I'm sweating profusely. And the fence, he doesn't jump, which like, bruh, you got to jump. I Oh, Dan, I, my heart rate is going up. Um, he doesn't jump, but the fence turns back on and it electrocutes him and shoots him like 20 feet in yeah. the air. He's airborne. It's horrifying. Oh, and he's passed out, obviously. I mean, a mm-hmm. fall like that, he should have probably broke his neck, but he, he doesn't caught. have any broken bones. He did get oh, was caught, he? yeah. Oh, you're right, you're right. I forgot. Which... I'm so usually so overwhelmed <laughs> that I just... <laughs> Still, a fall like that, bones should have been broken. Absolutely. Um, also, when the fence turned on, he wouldn't have flown back in real life. He would have oh. just been burnt to a crisp. Ooh! Well, yeah, it's like 10,000 volts, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would murder you. What he got was like, what happens if you stick a fork in an outlet? Don't try that at home, kids. Yes. Don't try that at home adults, either. I yeah, know true. we're all getting bored, but... Yeah, don't do that. That is a step too far. Mm-hmm. So, they make it back to the visitor center, uh, and the kids go into the kitchen. Mm. And there's a spread of food. 
sexiest part of the movie. Let me tell you right there. So good. Only thing that could have made it sexier was if Jeff Goldblum was the platter that it was served on. Amazing. Mm. And as they're in there, they say, oh, we should be safe. No, they don't. They say that later, but they are being stalked by velociraptors. Well, there's kind of more foreshadowing there, though, too, because in the mural, they're sitting right in front of that velociraptor painting. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, they're sitting. I mean, it kind of comes up in the scene where they're eating the food and Mm -hmm. like all of a sudden they realize there's velociraptor there because the velociraptor painting is what they focus on and all of a sudden the shadow of the real velociraptor like matches up with the painting Mm. and that's how they know they're not alone Mm. Mm. you obviously watched this with a much more keen eye than i did i did i took a lot of notes it was like being in college again (laughs) uh so the kids they escape the velociraptors they end up back in the lab uh, mm-hmm. where they say we should be safe so long as velociraptors haven't learned to open doors. And let you me fools. tell you, they have learned to open doors. Mm-hmm. They're using that claw. Yes. So they hold him off. They they are forcing the door shut to keep themselves safe in the lab. Um, eventually they get the lock turned back on because of the computer wizardry of Lex uh, mm-hmm. It's a Unix system. I know how to do this with the weirdest file explorer in the world. Yeah, everything about their computers. I'm like, oh, this movie really is from a different time. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. So they get the lock and then they go to escape in the visitor center, but they are caught by the velociraptors. They're like, oh, oh, this is it. Is this it for, if this was an episode of Batman, it would be, is this it for our heroes? <laughs> Tune yeah. in next week. Same bat time. But they get saved by the unlikely hero of the movie, the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Amazing. Amazing content. And, like, as they're fighting the T-Rex and the um, the Velociraptors, I always think it's really, really interesting how they have them fighting. And the giant banner that falls down says, like, when dinosaurs roamed the earth or ruled the earth or whatever, I'm like, yeah. ooh, girl, they still do. Here they do. <laughs> Who run the world? Girl dinos. You're not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I really like about how the, the T-Rex just pops in there is how earlier in the movie they sensed it coming because it was earth-shattering stomps and shakes and roars but here nothing nothing it's just them and the velociraptors then suddenly bam here comes sue coming Mm -hmm. in to eat the velociraptors Mm -hmm. well and then the similar thing to the water happens when the velociraptors show up too but with the jello the green jello shaking on her spoon which is another iconic scene if i do say so myself that's true yeah and yeah it's just funny i think a lot of it shows like the stomps of the T-Rex to begin with were to like really show you, wow, it's this big scary thing, but maybe they did it the second time without such grandeur because they were scared and we were all caught up in the moment. Would we really truly have felt it coming at that point? Uh You know, when we're focusing on something else yeah, as opposed to just kind of sitting in silence. Yeah, that's true. So they escape Alan says, upon further 
consideration, I do not endorse your park um, to Richard Hammond, which is a mm, just a strong line. It makes me so sad, though. I feel a little bit bad for Dr. Hammond because it's like this is his baby and he was so proud of it. And he Mm -hmm. even says like back at the beginning when the lawyer's like, wow, we could sell tickets for a thousand or two thousand dollars a day. This is great. And he's like, no, no, this is supposed to be for everybody. Everybody's supposed to learn. I want everybody to experience this. My heart, it just makes me so sad for him. Right. Like he really tried and it honestly mostly got screwed up because of one person's Wayne Knight's selfish act. Mm -hmm. But it did also show that they had not studied enough of what could happen for it to be safe yeah it was gonna get screwed up anyway Wayne Knight just he pushed it forward and made Mm -hmm. it immediate but with the dinosaurs reproducing in the wild Mm -hmm. and the fact that the velociraptors were learning to open doors and things Mm -hmm. like that watching the fence to see where the weaknesses were yeah there's no way that it would have amounted to anything other than people dying Mm -hmm. and yeah with that line, they get in the helicopter, they fly away, and that's the end of the movie. There's mm-hmm. n- there is no falling action. Honestly, I don't think it needs it. I don't think so either. I think it ends on a perfect... You just see them flying off in the helicopter. The John Williams score swells. Oh. Your bridal march swells. And, yes. And then the credits roll. It's. I mean, if I will say, the soundtrack for this film is chef's, chef's kiss perfection. Absolutely. You know? It's, I mean, I think personally, I know like a lot of people are like, oh, Star Wars, oh, Harry Potter. I think that this is John Williams' greatest work personally. I think it's the post. You're not laughing. No, I refuse. (laughs) I don't even know if he did the music for the post. Oh, God, I don't know either. But I, like, I know he did all kinds of things, but Uh this one is my favorite personally. it's, It's so difficult to, like, rank yeah, the things that are in the canon of John mm-hmm. Williams, because you have there's Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, Superman, Jaws, Schindler's Jaws. List. Yeah, there's so much. Yeah, he's everywhere. But for me personally, this is my number. one. I mean, Jaws. I'm not really gonna count Jaws because that theme is two notes. Well, I mean, what am I thinking? I'm not gonna run out and write that theme. Like, <laughs> oh, let me just. You know what would be really cool? A triad, but no, like, that's not, but you know, like, I just think for me, if I was a composer, mm-hmm. Jaws would be lower on the list. Anyway. <laughs> um, so now that we have reached the end of the movie, if you had to mm-hmm. summarize your feeling in one sentence. Of, of after I. Of your most recent rewatch of Jurassic Park, what would it be? <sighs> More scholastic, but pretty much the same as always. (laughs) You know, because there I am with my knitting and Mm -hmm. my tea, because I'm 80 years old, sitting back to watch some classic film. Mm -hmm. But I'm also taking notes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm picturing you somehow getting a 16 millimeter projector and getting this on 16 millimeter. I wish. An archive that you have access to. Can you imagine? Call up my good friend Jay Willie and see if he, I can borrow his like pre-edited <laughs> full version cut, blah, 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 director's cut, musician's cut. I don't know. 
Um, I would say that I don't, I haven't seen this in probably four or five years just because it hasn't Mm -hmm. been on my radar. Um, But it definitely holds up and there's a lot more that I forgot was in the movie. I mean, I think when you think about movies that are from like the 80s and 90s, 70s, 60s, all all the way back to the beginning of movies, mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that you can watch and you go, ooh, that really doesn't hold up today and I feel uncomfortable watching this. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Jurassic Park specifically, there's nothing in that movie. Well, I mean, I know that there's the little bit of stuff with... um with Jeff Goldblum's character, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's not really room in the plot for anything to be uncomfortable or any room to really make people be uncomfortable with anything that's happening. Like it's all so set in an innocent plot line, you mm-hmm. know, like it's a monster movie, but there's not really much else going on that could make it, not sit well in the future yeah i mean of course there's like nitpicky things like the way the animals are chained up and just fed to the velociraptors or fed to the dinosaurs or like casting issues blah 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 blah. but i feel like Mm story-wise it's very timeless yes yeah there it has the the same issues that hollywood has had throughout history with casting wise and um race and gender uh, yeah and that sort of stuff but yeah as you said story-wise and execution-wise specifically this doesn't it, it's just paced so well mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel like a movie that is 20 nearly 28 years old exactly and i feel like there's something in it for everybody like mm-hmm. there's the family story of um, Alan Grant coming around to like liking children and um, his girlfriend keeps saying oh I think you should get interested in wanting to have children because I want kids and like you see over the course of the film so there's something there there's something for actual kids who might be interested in dinosaurs and just think that thing is really cool there's something for somebody who likes action there's something for somebody who likes science there's something for everybody mm-hmm. so well now that we've given a wonderful conclusion to the movie yes. let's keep going all right. Um, so, a couple of questions for you. I'm ready. Best actor in the movie. Best in the movie? Just exclusively focusing on this. None of their other work. If this was the only movie that was released for all these people, best actor or actress. Well, I love the character arc of Dr. Alan Grant. Mm-hmm. So, I think that performance is really stand out to me yeah because i feel like there's so many things going on that a delicate character arc like that that's not focused on oh he falls out of love with dinosaurs yeah that's a part of it mm-hmm. a little bit but the main arc is he goes from being kind of selfish to not being very selfish anymore yeah and i really like that arc so i'd say that performance that makes you really love this character that's kind of to himself at the beginning is mm-hmm. the best one and the best performance I'd have to agree with you. Yeah. I was going into the question. I was like, oh, Laura Dern. Um, but I, I 
like her performance the most, but I think that also might be because I like Laura Dern the most out of anybody in the movie. Yeah. Um, and I like any performance that she's given, but the the arc that Alan Grant has mm-hmm. throughout the movie, he has a much stronger arc than she does. Yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like Laura Dern's character, like you said, yeah, she just doesn't grow as much. Yeah. I feel like none of the other characters really grow as much. Maybe uh, Richard Attenborough. Okay. Because he, he's so idealistic at the beginning. And then mm-hmm. as it goes on, just because he gets beaten down and beaten down and beaten down, he comes to realize the error of his ways. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, he is like the opposite arc where he yeah. had, like you said, such an idealistic I, view of things. And it kind of turns a little more selfish in like a boo-hoo, woe is me, all my dreams are crushed sort of yeah. way. Um, and then on the... Oh, crap, what was I going to... Let me look at my notes. I forgot what I was going to say. Um, oh, what I was going to say is that... So, in the book, mm-hmm. he is a much less grandfatherly sort of character. Really? Um, yeah, he is like the lawyer. He's only in it for the profit. Uh, oh. it, eventually, it's revealed that he doesn't love his grandkids... Um, and he doesn't survive the book. He dies because he falls down. He kind of dies like Nedry dies, but Mm -hmm. it's later. He falls down, uh, and he breaks his ankle and he can't get up. And then he's eaten by dinosaurs. Ugh. Yeah. I think I like this movie version of him better. Yes. He's like, kind of like Santa Claus, but (laughs) dinosaur Santa Claus. Oh, imagine Dinosaur Santa Claus. He'd be amazing. Well, if he didn't eat you. Um, <laughs> I just pictured him bringing you dinosaurs, not being a dinosaur, I guess. <laughs> I, I pictured him as a velociraptor with Love it. a hat on. Cute. Um, did you know that Jim Carrey did a screen test for uh, Ian Malcolm? Jeff Goldblum's role? Um, yeah, I knew that was Jeff Goldblum's role. I was, uh, in silence because I was so shocked. (laughs) Because that character to me, you know, he's supposed to, I mean, I guess this is why Jim Carrey didn't get it. If I may, if I was in the casting couch, Mm -hmm. you know, he's just not, to me, he's just not a sexual being. (laughs) Like, I just can't picture it. I can't. Like, I've seen him in movies, I mean... Truman Show, Eternal Sunshine. No, just no. not there. There's nothing sexy about him. I'm picturing the Grinch. I'm picturing the Grinch. <laughs> Green fur everywhere. Oh gosh. Uh, some other people that were considered to be cast: uh, Ted Danson in the same role, Johnny Depp, Michael what Keaton, is- and Michael J. Fox. Wait, Michael J. Fox? Absolutely. Nineties, yeah. 80s and 90s Michael J. Fox can get it. He, but he doesn't he have hot. the... He was hot, but he has the, like, youth about him. I'm picturing him in the leather jacket. You've completely lost me, okay. honestly. I figured. <laughs> um, for 
Ellie, uh, Christina Applegate, Sandra Bullock, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jodie Foster, pretty much any A-list actress at the time. Jamie Lee Curtis could have been interesting. Yeah. I can see her in it. I mean, I think Laura Dern was the best pick they could have made. Obviously, I wasn't there, but I think I think Jamie Lee Curtis could have been really cool because she's good at playing. I mean, she's older now, but mm-hmm. she's good at playing a more strong, independent, yet matriarchal figure. Mm-hmm. Even when she was young, like even in Halloween, I feel like I got kind of those kind of vibes. Yeah. So, uh, and then for Alan Grant, Kevin Costner, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Kurt Russell, and Robin Williams. All considered. I feel like Robin Williams would have been too silly. Yeah. Like, I think of him in Jumanji, mm-hmm. and I feel like Jumanji could have been the same level as this because it is sort of that fantasy ish adventure like historical fantasy is that that's not a genre but i'm making it an adventure (laughs) i don't know he seems too silly to me Mm -hmm. to have played this role but there is an alternate reality where jurassic park was with harrison ford jamie lee curtis and michael j fox and honestly i definitely i don't think that that is a a downgrade at all no i would have been front row i'd have been like Open your buttons farther, Michael, but that's just me. <laughs> you would have been front row when you were negative, negative. three? Yes, I would have. From beyond the ether, I would have been <laughs> willing my mom to see it. And even now, I would have been like, wowie, zowie, I should have been young in the 80s, <laughs> 90s. Um. So if you had to replace one actor with your favorite actor in the movie. And I'm just going to pick who your favorite actor is. If you had to replace any character with 1995 Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Uh, who would you replace and would it be better, the same, or worse? Well, let me see. Hold on. How old was he in 1993? When did Home Improvement air? It was 89 to 99? 1991. So he Mm. would have been about the same age as Tim. So I think he would have been Tim. And I think he would have been the cutest. But (laughs) I also think Jonathan Taylor Thomas, even as a kid, Mm -hmm. even like he was just kind of a little more rough and tumble. He had that snark. Yeah, Tim seems very much like an indoors kid, and I feel like Jonathan Taylor Thomas, his characters in the 90s generally always were snarky and a little sassy, and I feel like his lines of, like, what car are you going to be in, oh, whatever car you're in, wouldn't have been as cute. No, that would have come up, it would have sounded very sarcastic. Yeah, like, or I feel like he would have been kind of a smarty pants, like they would have had to, the character would have been written in a way that was a little more sassy. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he would have more, he would have been more of a sister than he would have been the little brother, like the older tween, even at like nine years old, he mm-hmm. would have been kind of a tweeny, sassy, sass, sass. Yeah. Um, if anything, if you had to cast someone from Home Improvement as Thank you. as Tim, the Mark would probably be the best fit. Oh, yeah. Mark was an adorable child. So absolutely, I agree with you on that. 
I hope everybody is enjoying the home improvement section of this podcast. Yes, I almost <laughs> wore my Binford Tools shirt today, but I was like, nobody's going to see it. It's fine. <laughs> um, can you imagine, though, going back to that, can you imagine if Brad was playing Tim? Oh, oh no. no. Oh, no. Did you know that he's in Tokyo Drift? Fun fact. I did know that. <laughs> I found out recently. <laughs> I screamed. I paused the movie. But anyway. I'm I'm so sorry that you had to come to that it's okay. realization recently. It's all right. It's fine. So if I had to put my favorite actor into this, I need to see if he was still alive when they made the movie. Um, okay, he was. Um, I. It's Jimmy Stewart. I knew it. I was like, is it Jimmy Stewart? I yeah. think it's Jimmy Stewart, but I don't want to sound dumb. Yeah, it's Jimmy Stewart. Uh, would an 83-year-old, no, 85-year-old Jimmy Stewart, as I guess it would have to be Richard Attenborough's character. Mm-hmm. I wanted to build this park for the kids. <laughs> oh, spared no expense. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, well, no, no, that dinosaur's in that pen, and, and that dinosaur's in that pen, and your money's in Jim's house, and Jim's money's in Dale's house. Mm-hmm. I I want it. I, in my in my bones, I want it, but it wouldn't be good. I, I would watch it. Yeah. It would probably be the same one with Jamie Lee Curtis and Harrison Ford and Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking at his filmography, and if he had anything... The last movie that he had come out was in 91. But what that movie was, a, was it? An American Tale, Fievel Goes West. Oh my god, oh my god. Wait, have you not seen those movies? I haven't. <gasps> there are no cats in America. Sorry, that's probably copyrighted. Uh, you might have to cut that. But anyway, you should watch it. <laughs> it's about mice. <laughs> I know what They're it's Russian. about. They're um, Russian. I've been to Universal when I was a child, and I played in Fievel's Playground. Amazing. They're Russian mice who come to America. Do they sing I Want to Be in America? No, they sing There Are No Cats in America. Mm. That's where, um, that song that's like, we're both underneath the same big... Somewhere out there beneath the big blue sky, someone's thinking of me and loving me tonight. Okay. Also copyrighted. Yes, there we go. (laughs) Um, But his last live action movie was in this movie called The Green Horizon. Um which is a Japanese drama film. Oh, how very outside of what I would expect him to do. He plays a character called the old man. Um, Mm. So I, I don't think that the movie would be better. I think the movie would be worse if Jimmy Stewart was in it, but it would make my heart sing. I, I get you. I get you. It would be an adventure. It would be. Um, If you had to compare this movie to another one, what one would you compare it to as the closest one? Like like in movies I like or like movies Just movies in I... general. If there's a movie that it reminded you of. Um, I often pair together my love of Jurassic Park with my love of Jaws. Mm-hmm. Just because, I mean, they're both Spielberg. They're mm-hmm. both John Williams. We already got my two boys. They're both suspense stalking movies. Yeah, and they're both like quote-unquote monster movies uh-huh um i don't know and they're both like from around i mean 
not around. That's a lie, Anna, because Jaws was 1979. Jaws was 75. 75? I thought it was 79. Oh, boy. Well, still. (laughs) I always think that they were both released in the 80s, and they were not. Mm -hmm. And so I always think that they were made closer together. Yeah. Because, again, like, thinking about how the robot in Jaws was made and the robots in uh, Jurassic Park were made, like, that's similar-ish technology with a few changes because, you know, sharks are different than dinosaurs. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I just always think about those films together and being kind of intense, but still classics. Yeah. Um, things you can watch with your family, even though they're kind of scary. <laughs> like, I don't know, I wouldn't have any issues with watching Jaws or Jurassic Park when I was little. I was uh-huh. a little unsettled by the head in Jaws, but mm-hmm. that's a conversation for another day, too. I thought you were going to say, I wouldn't have any issue watching Jurassic Park or Jaws with my child, and I was like, what child? When did this happen? Oh, my son. Yes. No, I have no children. I just have plants. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I think when I was little, I saw Jaws and Jurassic Park. I mean, Jurassic Park I saw when I was... 17 i think for the first time but i saw jaws when i was like 12 for the Uh first time and they evoked similar feelings in me of suspense and loving them okay why'd you make that face normally when somebody says this movie evoked certain feelings in me it means that it was like i had my sexual awakening watching linda hamilton and terminator 2 no mine was watching back to the future thank you that makes sense why you want MJF in this. I love Michael J. Fox. Uh, last question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you already talked about it in the beginning about your love of this movie. Yes. But if you could go into just why. Yeah. Um. So like I said about the music, a lot of it is based on that. So I played violin for 15 years Mm -hmm. of my life. And, um, I just hearing the music really makes me happy. And I feel the feeling like it helps me connect to the characters better. The characters are easy to approach. Um, nobody has such a intense backstory that I feel like I can't figure anything out about them. They're not, but they're also not like so two dimensional that I can't relate to them either. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how the children, though they're actual children, they're not counted out as stupid and useless. Um, I like that the woman in the film is still seen as a powerful and smart individual and she's respected for the interests that she has and her wishes to do things. Nobody kind of holds her back from doing that. Um, I like that everybody works together in this film because, I mean, obviously it's chaotic and scary and they're fighting off these dinosaurs, but it would be very easy to kind of create an every man for themselves sort of situation. Whereas it's a time where people are able to learn more about themselves and who they are and things that matter to them and what matters to them. And I don't know, it's just like for a scary movie, it's a lot more heartwarming to me. Mm-hmm because of the strong personal values that each character ends up displaying. Yeah. So. And with that, that is Jurassic Park. 
Yay! Um, thank you to everybody for listening. Um, just so in the book, at the end of it, they firebomb the island. It's all gone. Hammond is dead. There is no chance for a sequel. So tune in next week when we talk about the sequel to Jurassic Park, The Lost World, which Anna is currently showing me. She's holding it up right now. Yes. Um, I read this book too. I have some thoughts on it. We'll talk about it next week. Oh boy. All right. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to Anna for being on this show. Thank you, Dan, for having me. Yes. Um, if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan O'Keefe 86. If Anna wants to, she can give out a place to follow her or not. That's your choice. Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at automusprime 818 or you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> where my handle is... Hold on, I have to pull it up because I'm still kind of new to Twitter. It's at Autobots Rollout with a capital O, capital B, capital R, and two <laughs> zeros at the end. Roll zero and out is a zero. That's really confusing. Also, Universal Pictures, please don't sue me. Thank you. Yes, please don't sue us. Thank you to everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with The Lost World Jurassic Park. Have a good week, everybody. Bye-bye. Gage makes fun of me because when we started dating, I had four different pictures of Pete Wentz on my phone, just like at the ready. And he was like, oh, you want to explain? And I was like, I really don't. <laughs> Not right now. Not right now.